0: Thank you for listening to another inspiring message from The Movement Church. To find out more about The Movement Church, you can check out our website at theocmovement.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The O.C. Movement. All right. Good morning, Movement Church. Let's try that again. Good morning, Movement Church. Man, we've already had too much fun with the kids, but we got a lot of stuff in store for you. In fact, if you're with us here for the first time, you made it to a great Sunday. This is the final installment of our series called The Way I See It. and It's been a lot of fun, but before I dive in, I, I want to take a moment and honor some people in the room. I, I was raised in a tradition of honoring those that have gone before you, and I feel like honor is a lost commodity in the world that we live in today, and, and we actually have with us today a hero uh, who once served in the Marine Corps. He's a Purple Heart recipient. He's sitting in the back, and that's Mr. Art Leon. Would y'all just give this gentleman back here a round of applause? How awesome is that? Thank you for your service, and uh, we're grateful for all that you did for us, and man, we just want to always honor people, no matter what the journey is. And so another thing I want to honor too is there's, there's five men who've played a profound role of influence in my life. Three of them are pastors that are on our board of directors. One of them is my father who passed away about three years ago. And the other is my oldest brother who's with us today. Sean, would you raise your hand and give my brother a great round of applause? And So great to have you with us. And his son Brooks, who's going to be interning with us for the next couple of months. And everyone I've introduced him to today has said, oh, apparently he got the height. So I was like, great. This is so good to have you here, Sean. But anyways, it's just always great to have family around. And we're we're excited about what today is about. And and I I, as we close this series, I just want to kind of remind you what it is that we're going through and the heart behind this. And well, what you need to know is that Jesus, throughout his life and ministry, he taught simple truths all the time. He said things like, love those who treat you poorly and treat people like you expect to be treated. And don't focus on, on other people's issues, but focus on the issues of your own. And what he would do is teach these, these principles, these lessons in word pictures or stories referred to as parables. Parables. And so what we've done in this series is we have chosen five of the parables of Jesus and we're pulling profound truths while simultaneously uncomplicating them. And so it's been quite an exciting journey this far. If you've missed the previous four weeks, you've gotta go back and check out the podcast. Today, for our final installment, the sermon is entitled, The Moat and the Beam. And I wanna encourage you, as we do every week, to be taking notes. In fact, you can text the word notes to the number on the screen and follow along with everything that I'm going to preach about today in our U version in the U version app. But what we've been doing is reading the parable And then unpacking exactly what it means. And so today I'm going to read the parable that we're talking about from Matthew chapter 7 in the King James translation. So just for your record, the Bible, when it was originally written, was done so in Greek and Hebrew and then was translated into English in the mid-1600s when people spoke English very differently than you and I. But I believe that so often we equate that translation of the Bible to the way that God speaks. So I want to read this for you, and then we're going to have some fun with it. Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5 in the King James Version, and it reads like this. Judge not that ye be not judged. I mean, how often do you use the word ye? You don't. Verse 2 For with what measure ye, for with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you. Again, look at verse 3. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye? Let's look at verse five. It says this, thou hypocrite. That's always good to hear Jesus tell you. Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then thou shalt sorry, shalt thou see clearly to cast out the moat out of thy brother's eye? So what we did is we took this passage of scripture and we read it to some of your children. Is this not your favorite part of this whole series? And so we asked your children to retell this parable the way that they see Jesus telling this story. Check this out. That's not how it goes. I see it like this once upon a time there was a man with a strawberry in his eye and a, and one guy was making fun at him and uh, and that guy had fire in his eyes ten feet longer then God made him a banana the <laughs> <laughs> We're praying for your children, but I promise we are really teaching great biblical truth. And it started out so strong. The strawberry and the fire, I was like, this is going great, but then God turned him into a banana and we lost everything. So let me, let me read this same passage of scripture from the NIV, a different translation, a little more modern to the way that you and I speak and then conversate with one another today. But before I do that, let me pray. You know, we pray a lot. The Bible says that my house, Jesus said, my house should be called a house of prayer. So we pray. And I just want to pray this. Here's, here's my, my hope. My hope is that today we would open our heart to the possibilities of what God can do. And maybe you're here and you're not sure what it is you believe. Maybe you're not sure where you fit on the faith equation. And that's okay. Permission to belong before you believe. So why don't we just open our heart to possibilities? And I think God's going to do something pretty awesome. So can we pray? Would you one more time bow your heads, close your eyes as we pray? God, we just thank you that you're already here, and you're doing something profound. Today, God, we wanted to see you open our eyes and and our heart and our ears to the possibilities of the things that we need to change or shift or rearrange. So we don't want to leave here the same, God. So I pray that you would do something in each of our lives today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen amen and amen. So here's Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 through 5 in the NIV. It says this, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Look at verse three. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when at all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. You know what's so interesting about the life of Jesus is where we found him and in whose company Jesus was hanging out most of the time. It was very unorthodox and it would be very unexpected and probably contrary to the belief of most people. Most people would assume that Jesus was hanging out with religious leaders and preachers and teachers of the law and those that were really righteous and really good people. But Jesus was found in a very different crowd. In fact, the people that Jesus hung out with the most were society outcasts and known sinners and reprobates. These are the very people that Jesus hung out with. And the people who Jesus got frustrated with the most were religious leaders and teachers of the law. It was people who struggled with these three main categories. The first was pride. The second was hypocrisy, and the third was being judgmental. In fact, there were times where Jesus was so enraged with these self-righteous religious leaders that he yelled at them and called them hypocrites and said, you whitewashed sepulchres, you empty tomb. You look and have the appearance of a life that is godly, but on the inside, there is nothing. And we want to talk today about the last thing that Jesus most often dealt with, and that was a spirit. Or an attitude of being judgmental, what that actually means. And what's interesting about this whole concept of being judgmental is the Bible actually never tells you or I that we can't judge people, it just strongly opposes it. The Bible's saying, hey, watch out. If you decide to judge people, you need to know it's coming right back at you. So, the Bible actually never says, Hey, don't judge me. You, you've heard that term, only God can judge me. My wife wanted to get it tattooed on her neck. I said, Absolutely not. <laughs> you can, but you gotta be careful, you gotta watch out for this. And here's what's interesting the Bible does tell us that we're able to judge the fruit of a person's life. So, that the way that they live, and their attitude, and their behavior. But just because Someone has, has fruit in their life that is challenging doesn't mean we're supposed to accept it, carte blanche. In fact, if you know someone who's live a, lived a life of dishonesty, it isn't a godly approach just to trust that individual with everything. So there's a point to this whole component where, where Jesus is saying, hey, you can judge, but be careful because it's a slippery slope. Yeah. You gotta watch out because you and I can get into trouble very easily. And the reason is, it's because we begin to judge why people are doing what they are doing. We shift to judging their motive and their intent. We feel as if we're qualified to assess the motive and intent of people in our world. In fact, we're so convinced we know exactly why he did what he did or exactly why she said what she said. We're convinced that we see this and know it. The word judge here in this scripture literally translates into judging negatively or to condemn. Now, I I don't know all of you, but I think it's safe to say not many of you are sitting as an actual judge. So we don't actually have the authority or the power to convict someone or to sentence them to death or to time in prison. But we do actually sentence people to the silent treatment in our life. We allow their attitudes and actions to shift the way that we treat them. So we'll condemn them with my poor attitude towards them or my lack of affection towards them. Well, my husband said this to me or did this weeks ago, months ago, years ago. And ever since then, I've never wanted to be close to them. So we condemn people with the way that we behave towards them. And the challenge about this whole attitude of judgment is that when we allow our thoughts of someone else's behavior to warp the value that I see in them or change the way that I treat them, then I have slipped into the seat of judgment. When I allow someone else's behavior to warp the value that I see in them or shift the way that I treat them, I've slipped into the seat of judgment. It's important to remember that you and I cannot judge a person's heart. We never know the motive. Only God knows the motive of the heart. And My friends, this is a challenge for us because all of humanity, you included, has the propensity to condemn others for their faults and their failings. It's genetically wired into us. You know why? Because when I see someone else's imperfections, it makes me feel better about mine. When I see your faults and your shortcomings and your imperfections, it takes the attention off of me and mine. And we'll say things like, well, I just really do care. I'm just concerned. I just really want them to change the way that they're acting. I don't want them to behave this way. And and we we walk and act and talk as if it's really compassion and concern. I hate that for them. But if we're not careful, this merely becomes a falsely based feeling of superiority, superiority masquerading as compassion and care. On the inside, we feel a little bit better about who we are and what we do because we're not quite like them. And this is scary. I'll tell you why it's scary, because we're blind to this in our life. We're blind to this notion. That's why Jesus used the illustration. Why are you worried about the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye? Don't you realize there is a ginormous beam in your own? Yes, I use the word ginormous. <laughs> why, why are you worried about your brother, your sister, your friend, your spouse's behavior and their attitude and their actions when there's just massive things sticking out of your own eye, you're a hypocrite. So today what we're gonna talk about is three different ways to avoid being judgmental. My hope is not that everyone in this room feels condemned for wrong actions or attitudes. But my hope is that all of us leave going, okay, I can make some adjustments in my life. I wanna encourage you to write these down. Text the word notes and follow along. But the first way that we can avoid being judgmental is to focus on the beam. Write that down, focus on the beam. Augustine, one of the early church leaders and theologians said, one had best not pretend to counsel another when one has the same fault unexamined. We're blind to our own faults. We're blind to our own delusions and that's why Jesus used this silly illustration. He's reminding us of what our responsibility truly is. God hasn't commissioned any of us to sit in the seat of judgment. You know what he's commissioned us to do? To love the people in our world and worry about our own issues. When we focus on the beam in our own eye, man, it changes how we see things. And you need to know that beam removal is painful. Beam removal is painful, why? Because you've lived your entire life building that beam. You've lived, it's become a part of you, it's second nature. And we know this because we label people in simple first time interactions. And we label them based upon our past experiences. Listen, if, if your response or my response to a person or to a scenario is negative or cynical or suspicious or condemning, then you might be a redneck. Wait, that's the wrong <laughs> the wrong line. If it's negative and cynical and suspicious, just what's your angle, bro? What's your angle? This is too good to be true. And in, My past, I've always learned there's no way it's this good. What's your angle? When when is the hammer going to drop? Yeah, I'm sure. You say you'll be there, but we'll see. If that's your first response to people or scenarios, you might be judgmental. And you need to know that removing the beam is going to be Painful, but here's the good news. The pain involved with self beam removal actually suffocates contempt and creates compassion. It suffocates contempt and it creates compassion. Why? Because I stop looking to you and your issues and I start looking at my own and I ask the Holy Spirit to do some work on me. God, I've got this beam in my eye and I, I didn't realize it was a problem. I didn't think it was an issue, but I'm seeing this clearly now. And God, I just need some help. I didn't realize I was treating people this way or looking down on them or had this feeling of superiority or was being judgmental. And God, I, I just helped me to see this thing. And I begin to see my own shortcomings and that's the great way that God works. He swoops in and here's the the misconception so many people have about God. They believe that God is like the kid in heaven with the proverbial magnifying glass waiting for us to fail at something. To say, yep, see, I knew you were gonna mess this up. I knew you were gonna miss this. I've been waiting for this moment. But that's not how God works. So God comes in gently and he says, hey, hey, this thing in your life, it doesn't have to be there. And here's the great news. There's a better future for you. You you don't have to stay this way. You are not the summation of your past mistakes and failures. There's so much more ahead of you. And then in that moment, as I'm removing this beam from my life, I begin to realize that I need God's grace. And so do you. And in this slow process, I'm working on removing the beam from my eye and I'm no longer trying to find the speck of sawdust in your own. God does a shift in my life. So here's a practical in this process, something you can take with you tomorrow on your way into work or as you head to hang out with your kids or, or you go to, to work or whatever. It might be finals are over so the college students are like, I feel good today. Whatever it might be, something you can take with you tomorrow and that is when you begin to see someone else's issue, maybe it's a blind spot. It's something they don't recognize. Maybe it's your spouse or your family member a child or a parent, a sibling or a neighbor. And when you see their issue in that moment before you think another thought, Or take another step, just say, Holy Spirit, would you show me my blind spots? There's something about that that shifts the perspective. and I stop looking at the speck of sawdust in your eye, and I start to focus on what God wants to change in me. Another practical we can take into Monday is if we just made our focus loving the people in our world. Just make that the focus, not speck removal. Now, listen, I'm not just talking about the people that you love to love. That's easy. Paul said that. It's easy to love the lovable. You hang out with my daughter Avery in Brooklyn. It's a great time. They bounce on clouds, ride unicorns, and eat Skittles. Everybody loves them. (laughs) But I'm talking about the guy in your neighborhood that you can't stand. That coworker that you literally don't want to see on Monday. Don't judge me like you don't feel that way. I feel judgment right now. (laughs) Maybe it's your spouse. Just focus on loving them. The people in your world, not, not some child in Africa that you're helping be a part of, but the people you actually have contact with. What if we made that our focus? You know, it's so crazy. Jesus had the same thought. Actually, I got the idea from him. John 13 35 he said there's just one thing there's just one thing that if you focus here this, this one idea and, and it, it will show the world that you actually are following me it's not church attendance it's not like raising your hands higher during worship there's just one thing if, if you'll just focus here I I promise people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. What if we made that our focus? I wonder what would shift in the world that we live in instead of waiting for someone to change before we love them. So how do I avoid being judgmental? Number one, focus on the beam in your life. Number two, remember, you never know the whole story. Look at me in the eyes. You never know the whole story. All too often, judgment has been passed, relationship severs, trust destroyed, all because I assume that I know the what and the why. I assume that I've got this figured out. You see, we label people after one interaction due to their personality or the way that they dress or their facial expressions, and we think that we know what kind of person they are. Nope, here's what that in indicates for us. That you or I have allowed our past experiences and our insecurities to lodge a beam in our own eye. Wow. and We label people after one encounter. And our job is not to judge the superficial or the exterior, but to look past and see the beauty on the inside. Not to look under the surface to try to find the faults and the failings, but to search for the beauty. And you you want the same thing too, my friend. You want the people in your world to see your failings and your shortcomings and your faults and look past that and see the potential in you. I have one of the greatest connect groups. If you're a dude, every Saturday at 8 a.m., you're welcome to come out to the kaleidoscope and join me, although next week is the last week. I'm one of the greatest connect groups. And yesterday, one of the gentlemen in my connect group was sharing some of his story and the things that he had walked through and, and, and some of the choices he had made in the college years of his life and, and this, the, the sin that had entered and the darkness that had overtaken and overwhelmed him. And, and he talked about feeling at a place where he had no value and, and just, it just got to a gross, corrosive place. And that's when he met his now wife, who in the midst of the darkest season of his life was able to see past and discover the potential. And you just saw this overwhelming sense of gratitude well up in his his heart and his eyes. So he talked about a woman who could see past his failings and shortcomings. And my friends, Jesus did the same thing for us too. He looks past our shortcomings and our failures. You know, I I was a youth pastor for 12 years and I... uh, In Texas and in Arizona and had some interesting experiences. Uh, Being a youth pastor is awesome and horrible all at the same time. And uh, dealing with with teenagers and and parents is awesome. So that's another story. And there's one kid named Robert. And he was the worst kid I've ever encountered in my life. (laughs) I'll never forget, one Wednesday, I'm walking upstairs. I'm about to go preach. I've been praying for these teenagers for hours that day, and I'm about to go preach and give my heart and soul, and I walk around the corner, and this little punk kid wearing Jinko jeans and chains hanging out, mascara on, it was the early 2000s, comes running around the corner. Y'all don't even know what Jinko jeans are. Congratulations. And he like jumps in the air and does this flying ninja kick, trying to kick me in the face. I was like, I will break you. I will bring you down to Chinatown. Same kid sold pot in the bathroom upstairs by the youth room. That's not smart. We had a police officer there because we had some rounded kids in that youth ministry. And he came around the corner and said, hey, Robert's selling weed in the bathroom. What do you want me to do? Well, let's arrest him right now. No, we just took him outside to talk to him. Two weeks later, he was smoking pot out by the lake behind the church. Stole something from every kid in our youth ministry, and his sister would show up with him every week, too. And she had this look of disdain and hate on her face. And I was convinced that they were part of Satan's plan to destroy our youth ministry. Like Satan molded them from clay just to make my life horrible. Every week they showed up, every single week. And I'm like, "Why are you here?" <laughs> "What is wrong with you people?" I was angry and frustrated. So we took him to dinner. they'd never been to a restaurant before. This is a true story. took them to a place called Fud Ruckers. You can build your own burger and death, apparently. He put like 42 pickles. I said, Do you like pickles? He goes, Yep. And we just said, well, Why don't you tell us your story? So she began to unpack how two years earlier their uncle took them both into a back room and molested one, made the other one watch, and then made them trade places. And that enough is the story, but it doesn't end there. They had an alcoholic and abusive father who moved them out into a field in the middle of nowhere with no running water and no electricity. And one time gave them a spoon and a toy and told him to go outside and dig a well. I said, Why do you come to our church every week? She looked at me and she said, because it's the only place where I feel loved. And I missed it. I missed it. I missed the moment because I was judging the exterior. And what I was frustrated about and missing the potential inside of them. You never know the whole story. And if we'll just lean in to learn the fullness, we can discover the potential. I'm glad to say both of them gave their life to the Lord. I'm still connected to him on Facebook. His sister stopped drawing pictures of demons and darkness and started drawing pictures of flowers and started smiling and joined our greeter team. And he's married and has kids and he's doing a great job being a dad. And I just wonder how many people that I missed in the season of my life, thinking I was doing the good work because I was judging the exterior or what was frustrating. And I think that's what Jesus was trying to say in this parable when he said, Hey, Stop focusing on the speck of sawdust and realize you've got this giant beam sticking out of your own eye. Focus on the beam and remember, you never know the whole story. Point number three, we've got to choose to see sin as sin. Let me explain what that means. Somewhere along the lines, we've categorized sin. We, we actually have the audacity to believe that some sins are more unholy than other sins. That there are some sins that are more egregious and outrageous to the heart of God than others. That if I just tell a little white lie, it's not as big of a deal as if I'm committing a crime. And, This is logical for human reasoning because we equate the pain associated with or the consequence of sin to its severity. In other words, we see the horror of sexual or physical abuse and and we we see the enormous emotional and physical pain that it causes and it seems irreconcilable. We look at murder and crime or infidelity in marriage and all of these have both grave and great consequences, and it makes sense that we equate the, the pain and the consequences to the severity of sin. But while it's logical, it is not biblical. That's not a biblical approach to sin. So let me illustrate for you what the Bible says about sin. Romans three twenty three says, For all have sin and fall short. Notice it doesn't say, for those that don't attend the movement church have sinned and fall short. For those that have been in church long enough, for those that know how to read the Bible and and check the the Daily Reading on You version, for those that are are really close to Pastor Carrier, for those that have parents who are pastors, those, they're they're fine, but everyone else says, all have sinned and fall short. All. Romans 3.10 says... It is written, there's no one that is righteous, not even one. No one. No one. Romans 6, 23 says that this sin that is in everyone has a penalty. And the wages of sin is death. And I believe if we're going to remove this attitude of judgment from our life that we've gotta stop categorizing sin as anything other than sin. In its infant, most native form, sin is simply choosing to do what I wanna do versus what he wants to do in any scenario. In any situation, in any conversation, in any relationship, sin is merely choosing my way over his way. None of us are righteous. All of us have sin in our life, and all of us deserve the payment of sin, which is death and an eternity in hell. Isn't this an encouraging message? I once had a woman in our church ask me, if Hitler was afforded the same grace that she was, she was raised in the church, did everything she could to live a good life and to follow God with her life and didn't get into trouble and didn't have bad college years and married a great man, still connected and involved in church today. And she said, if Hitler prayed the prayer moments before his death, did he make it to heaven? I said, absolutely. Romans 10:13 says, and it's true, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be rescued and experience new life. Absolutely. He's afforded the same grace. And she said, I'm not okay with that. To which I responded, then you don't understand grace and the grace that you need. She said, I've worked my whole life to live right. And I said, but you're still a sinner and you need grace. nothing to do with what we do. In fact, Ephesians 2.8 says, for it is by grace that you have been saved. Grace is something that you and I don't deserve. Through faith, and it's not of yourselves, there's nothing you or I can do to earn the grace, but it is a gift of God. Unmerited favor of God called grace, and you and I don't deserve it. To God, sin is sin, and he absolutely hates it, but he loves you, and he loves you. Sin is sin, but he loves you, so in the midst of your darkness, in the most corrosive and disgusting season of your life, not compared to somebody else's life, but you in the midst of the corrosive power and the grip of sin, In the midst of that darkness, Jesus demonstrated his love for you and for me by crawling onto the cross, to which he considered it joy. He said, I'm willing to do this for you. And he paid the ransom for our sin. Romans 5, 8 says that God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, in the midst of the darkness, Christ died for us, which means that you need a Savior and you need a Savior and you need a Savior. So stop worrying about the speck of sawdust in the eye of your brother, your spouse, your sister, your friend, your cousin, your neighbor, your coworker, and focus on the beam in your own eye. Focus on the beam in your own eye and remember you never know the whole story. Let's just choose to see sin as sin. That each of us has an equal need for grace. How many of you just being honest with a show of hands would just say, you know what? I've been a little judgmental and I need some help. Would you raise your hand? Come on. The rest of you are judging you. (laughs) Can I pray for us? Not for you. Can I pray for us? And maybe God can do some work inside of us that this week We'll focus a little bit more on what God wants to fix in us rather than the issues of the people around us. God, we just thank you that you care about every detail. You care about every nuance. You see us in the darkest moments of our life, but yet you see the potential inside of us. God, help us. We, we don't want to be judgmental. We, we don't want to see other people's failings and faults and imperfections. We want to see the beauty inside and the potential of other people, just as you see that in us. So God, help to shift our perspective, to shape our heart, that our expression would be love, that people would know that we're followers of Jesus because of the love inside of us. Help us, God. We're not strong enough on our own, but with you, God, anything is possible. So we thank you for that now, in Jesus' name. Hey, look at me for a minute before we go. Just a few minutes left. And we do this every week. I want to give everyone in this room an opportunity to begin a relationship with Jesus. I'm not talking about church membership. And here's the good news. I'm not talking about getting rid of your past. But just starting with Jesus. There's actually a starting point. This whole faith thing doesn't just happen because we put out good vibes or think good thoughts. But there's a moment where I have to say yes to Jesus, which means I'm, I'm stepping out of the driver's seat of my life and giving him permission to drive. And that starting point is a moment of decision. And if you're here and you've never made that decision, today I'm gonna give you an opportunity to do just that. I'm gonna pray a prayer and right where you're seated, we're not gonna ask you to get out of your seat. No one else has to know but right where you're seated in the stillness of your own heart or a quiet whisper, I wanna challenge you to pray this prayer with me but even more than praying it from the depths of your heart to believe this to be true and I believe that God's gonna start something brand new and amazing in your life. So if you're here today and you've never prayed that prayer, today is your moment. In fact, I believe it's why you're here. And there are some of you here and you've been running from God. Maybe you prayed a prayer like this, but you've been playing with destiny and today's the day to come running back. I want to challenge you to pray this prayer with me as well and start over brand new today. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Nobody looking around, nobody moving. If that's you and you've never prayed this prayer, or it's time to pray it again for the first time in a long time in a still small whisper of the quietness of your own heart just repeat this simple prayer after me just say dear god i know that you're real and i know that you love me thank you for grace that i don't deserve would you forgive me and make this statement your own heads bowed eyes closed nobody moving make this statement your own say jesus i give you my life in jesus name god we just thank you for what you're doing in this place and that you have great plans for us we thank you for your grace i pray god that every single individual in this room but experience the fullness of your grace today in a powerful way. In Jesus' name I pray. If you prayed that prayer with us today, we are so excited to be a part of this journey with you. Would you email us at infotheocmovement.com? At and if you're not in the area, we would love to help you find another life giving church near you. Send us an email at infotheocmovement.com at and we'll get back to you shortly. Thank you again for listening to another inspiring message from The Movement Church.